You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Tech Fan Podcast number 288. I am Tim Robertson. I am David Cohen. And we are running an experiment on this episode, kind of like last time, David, but honestly, it's... <laughs> yeah, we five, five more minutes of planning. Um, yeah. But the difference is it seems to be working pretty good so far. Yeah. So we're going to get to that and, and what's different. Um, but first, what's going on in the tech world in your life, David? You said the, something's exciting is happening to you. Uh, yeah. So um, you've listeners will regular listeners will heard me regularly moan, and you moan as well when we've had audio problems about the terrible internet connection I have at home. Yeah. You've got a pretty bad um, which, one. Yeah, it's a four megabit ADSL, which by um, by the standards of a, of a few years ago is actually pretty good, but by modern standards, not really up to much. And I've had to do the whole song and dance of when I record the show, making sure nobody at home is doing anything on the internet to affect the voice quality. Um, and um, yeah, I every six months so I check with OpenReach, who are the the kind of the com- the private company who own all of the infrastructure for the internet in the UK. They own all of the what used to be British telecoms, wires and cables and copper and exchanges and all that sort of thing. So um, you have to wait for them to do infrastructure work to improve your internet. And the best you can get mostly in the UK now is, is what they call fibre to the cabinet. So it runs a, a fiber line from the telephone exchange, which is the kind of back end infrastructure, to the nearest telecoms cabinet to your house. Right. And then and then you run DSL from there to your house. Um, and using that, most people can get about uh, normally get you know around about seventy megabits per second, which is you know a really good solid connection for doing pretty much anything you want nowadays. But the problem is, is that. Um, OpenReach tends to only do that work when they're subsidized by the government. And when they were in the area where I live, my house and my housing estate was not built. So they didn't wire up our cabinet for um, fiber to the cabinet. And they won't come back because even though there's now probably five or 600 properties who would benefit from that, um, that's not enough uh, commercial interest to make it worth their while to come back and do it. So that's why we're all stuck at at horrible broadband but not me from next monday because i found somebody who has just started doing wireless broadband over the city i live in uh, and they are going to come and fit a little aerial on the roof of my house next week and i should be up to the heady heights of 40 megabits per second mm-hmm. should be a lot better uh, it should be transformative i'm hoping well we'll of find course, out you know hoping it works that's the yeah, first thing well, you know. yeah they they turn up and say, oh, yeah, sorry about that tree, because that means you get no internet, and I'm going to be very sad. That shouldn't be a problem with Wi-Fi. It's, I don't think it's Wi-Fi, though. I think it's um, some other form of wireless broadband technology. Um, so I don't know quite what it is, but there's various different ways of doing it. But certainly, they, if they're covering the whole city, it's not point-to-point Wi-Fi. It's something else. So um, Well, that's 40 megabits down. What is it yeah, up? 20 megabits up. Oh, that would not be bad at all. Yeah. Yeah. And it's um, also, even though it's a much better service than what I'm getting at the moment, it's probably about 40, 50% cheaper. So, yeah. yeah. That's worth definitely giving it a shot. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So, I'm going to stay home from work Monday and work from home, and, and hopefully these guys are coming and, and improve my life. Funnily enough, for an extra £10 a month, they're 
they're giving me, and I, I, I'll be interested to talk about this on the show next week. They give me something called Appy.tv, which is it looks like it's some sort of li- little Linux box that gives me lots and lots of content for watching TV on. Um, hmm. But I, I tried to ask the guys some questions about, you know, I said, well, is it is it Netflix? Is it iPlayer? What 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 content are you offering? And they went, oh, all of those things and live TV. Um, and uh, yeah, so basically, the sales guy was effectively telling me I could get, I could watch anything I wanted, you know. Uh, basically, as soon as out the multiplex down the road, then then I'll be able to watch it on my TV at home, which I'm sure is sales talk. So I'll be interested to find out exactly how good it is. Um, that would be interesting uh, to hear about too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, it almost sounds like a, sl- yeah. I don't know. We'll have to find out. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, put my. One of my Raspberry Pis back in a case. I just had it floating around. It was making me nervous looking uh, at this it. This is the world we live in now, is that you can have a, a powerful computer and it's like putting a credit card away. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. I yeah. am, I've I've got two Raspberry Pis. One of them in my uh, arcade stick, my tank stick thing. Yeah. Uh, although none of the controls on that arcade stick are actually connected to the Raspberry Pi. Uh, and then the other one... And by the way, that part might be rectified soon. I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. And the other one is just kind of floating around. It's my testy one. Yeah. But I did swap the SD cards from my testy one to my the one in the arcade stick because that the one on the arcade stick is actually hooked up to, I don't know what size TV that is, like a 40-inch TV, 37, 38, 40, something in there. Um, no, it's not that big. No, I think it's like a 32-inch TV. Yeah, it's a 32-inch older Magnavox flat panel that I've got on a pivot arm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the pivot arm, obviously, you can bring it in, you can push it back, but you can also rotate it. And the idea initially was, for some arcade games I play on there, I want it horizontal. Yeah. Others, I want it vertical, so I could just rotate the screen. But mm-hmm. I it was I just never really did it. <laughs> I did it first, but then it's just like yeah, you know what? I'll just I'll just play the vertical games and the horizontal. It'll just yeah, I'll just move my head a bit closer <clears throat> to the screen. Yeah, it's a little smaller, but <clears throat> it's fine. Uh, <laughs> um, so that's what I've got my Raspberry Pi, my main one, hooked up to. And if we as we've discussed in the past. Uh, you know, I put some uh, video game stuff on there and I've yep. been messing with it almost nonstop since then, different configurations, different games, different, getting different controls working. Uh, my son Cole loves to play on it because he likes uh, Mario Kart and it's got Mario yep. Kart 64 on that one. And so he'd play it quite often. I'd, I'd hook up two Xbox controllers and we'd race each other on Mario Kart. Mm-hmm. So it's a nice little system. Yeah. But it hunting down all the ROMs and configuring everything was is always kind of a pain. And there's times, most times to be honest, I just wanna I just wanna play something. Yeah. And I don't even know what I want to play. No, that's right. You really want a, a a menu of choices to choose from. You don't want to have to go thinking, well, maybe I could play this so I can I can go and find it and put it on there. You want you want to just be able to choose from a list. That's right. Well, I'm part of, I joined a group, a couple actually, uh, on Facebook, a RetroPie Facebook group. It's got a couple thousand people in it. So about a week ago, 
someone in the group posts a video of his setup and in the comments he posted a link to a torrent site for his RetroPie image. So let's just before we get any further and we'll get into what this this what's on here. Yeah. But do you want to try to explain to the uninitiated when I say an image what does that mean and what do you have to do with that image? Okay, so a Raspberry Pi is effectively is a Linux computer. It's running, uh, it's got a, a, basically it's hugely, hugely integrated. So effectively there's a system on a chip on the Raspberry Pi board that is a full computer and that is designed to run Linux. And so... But Linux can, is not installed on this RetroPie. No, because, because it, is, it is a hobbyist device. It's, Correct. It's actually, there's actually, no hard drive. There's yeah. no, there's nothing built in. It yeah, is effectively be, a computer. And the, right. and part of the education part of it is, is learning how to set a computer up from the bare board. Mm-hmm. So you get your Raspberry Pi and you put an SD card in there. It has a little slot for yeah. an SD. Um, it's a, the micro SD card. Yeah, the original one had a big SD card. Now the, the latest ones use micro SD because that's the way every, everything is going. Yep. Um, and you can get stupid large cards like that and i just bought a 128 gig card for one of my devices and i think it was about 30 pounds so storage is not a problem with these things you know and remember yeah i told you a while ago western digital was sending me their raspberry pi focused hard drive that's right yeah and they did and i played with it a little bit not as much as i would like to because i only had one raspberry pi at the time so I'd have to pull it out of the cabinet and hook this up, and eh, I just didn't do yeah. it. It's one of the reasons that I wanted another Raspberry Pi. And but, let's not forget, a Raspberry Pi, are they're dirt cheap. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the beauty of it. I mean, the, the Zero model, you can pick up for about 5 bucks. Yeah, $5. Uh, yeah. Um, and, yes, you've got to spend a bit, little bit more to get the bits you need to get it up and running. But, yeah, even even the full the full latest version of the Raspberry Pi with Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and everything built in is only about $30. And that's what I have two of. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is this – is, once you get into these things, you find you do – and I have th- I've got three at home at the moment um, because it's, it's easy to dedicate a whole computer to one single thing. And then when you want to do something else, rather than, you know, with a regular laptop, you kind of – rebuild it and 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 boot into something else or something like that you just buy another computer and you set it up dedicated but the thing is to actually set all of these different things up suppose you want a, an arcade system and you maybe you want a, a, a linux desktop to play around with and perhaps you want an open vpn vpn server so that you can get to your network from home and and maybe you want to do some uh, experiments with robotics or lights or interfaces or something like that yes you'll eventually end up with multiple raspberry pis but actually what you want to do while you're doing your development doing your coding doing your your setup um, and if you want to play around with different cool things, is you want to be able to boot into different systems on your Raspberry Pi, and you don't want to be swapping cards and that sort that sort of thing. So what you can do is you can get a 64 gig card, and then you can have different images on there. And the images are they're basically like partitions on a Mac or a PC, um, and you can just choose which one you want to boot into, and then your Raspberry Pi becomes a different device or completely runs a different, different thing. Yep. Yeah. And this isn't like a Mac or a PC where you're just launching another version of Windows 10 or the Mac OS on a different hard drive. It really isn't like that at all. No. Because some of the OSs are command line only. Some are 
very rudimentary uh, graphical interfaces. Some, some are dedicated, no like arcade. They basically right. boost up the computer, and then they expect you to connect in via a network connection f- using SSH or something like that as a, a, a like as a remote terminal. So yep. you, there's actually nothing on the screen at all. There's no front end on the computer itself. So that's what these images are. They're different operating systems for the Raspberry Pi. So what we're talking about here, when I'm in this group on Facebook, somebody had posted an image via a torrent link to his image of his Raspberry Pi, which in this case is the RetroPie, which is an operating system designed to run older video games. And it emulates the Nintendo systems, the Atari stuff, Sega, arcade machines, the Nintendo 64, the PlayStation. Although the PlayStation and the Nintendo 64, uh, they don't run as well. Some of the games are fine. Like, I was talking about Mario Kart. That's fine. There are some games that are just, they need a little bit more resources than either the image itself is, is designed to handle. It's not really good at it decoding a lot of the complex stuff or the yeah. raspberry pi just doesn't have enough muscle yeah. to really run it effectively and i think it's when you're lighter. running an emulation because you're already like the code is already separate from the a lot of these original games you know they were <coughs> using dedicated hardware cores and everything to do what they did right and all that all has to be emulated which is slower than actual real hardware and so when you think so, about the emulation that we're running on these for these let, let's just take uh the atari 2600 for instance it runs an M. So this image is the operating system. It's Linux. On top of that, it's running the RetroPie operating system, or front end, if you will. Yeah. And then it literally launches and emulates another program that pretends it's a whole different operating system. In this case, the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. It's running an emulation called Stella. And, and it's and Stella those, that plays the games. Yeah, those emulators like Stella and that sort of thing, those will been, have originally been developed for x86 machines. Yep. Um, and then they've been recompiled to run on the ARM chip that, uh, that runs in the Raspberry Pi. So, again, you could have lost some performance during that process. So there's, there's a lot of complex things going yeah. for something as simple as playing the original Pac-Man Atari 2600 game on effectively a little $30 computer. You know, it, it, that's a lot of little things that have to go right for this to work. But here's the thing. The community of people who are into the retro pie, David, are number one, they're brilliant. And number two, they're very generous with their time because everything they do, they make it public. They just put it out there so anybody else can can download what they've done. Or they put instructions online. Uh, when I was originally setting up my first RetroPie, remember, I was having problems getting my image that I downloaded, my original RetroPie image, onto an SD card. And it turns out the way I was doing it was the problem. It wasn't my original SD card that I thought it was at the time that we talked about. Maybe I got a, a bad SD card or something. That wasn't the case. Yeah. It was the software that I was running and an incorrect command line and terminal trying to get that image in there. That was where the problem is. Well, since between then and now, uh, this Mac develop, excuse me, this Mac developer made a program 
that you put an SD card in, it sees it, it asks where your image is, you you tell it where the image is, and it just does the whole thing automatic. Yeah. it's It takes a quarter of the time, and it's so much easier. So, back to the story. I'm in this group. I see this cool video. It's a very short video, but it's cool. And it looks like he's got a lot of stuff in this image. And it's much better configured than mine. Yeah. So, I download this torrent file. And uh, it's... Uh, it's almost 60 gigabytes in size. And obviously, you know, to run that on a retro Pi, on my Raspberry Pi, I need a 64 gigabyte SD card, which I have. So I use this Mac program. I burn that image onto my SD card. I pop it into my Raspberry Pi, and I start it. It's fantastic. I Obviously, I sent David this uh, torrent link, and he's already downloaded it. Yep. <laughs> it's, I will be... Uh, the, the person who did this it, it, is really good. Yeah, it's very good timing for me. As as you know, regular listeners know, I, I spend most of my week at the moment away in London. Um, and I'm always looking to occupy myself in the evenings in the hotel. Uh, I actually acquired last week a 7-inch portable, uh, portable monitor. Sweet. So that I can basically do raspberry pi stuff in the hotel in the evenings so, so now uh, you've got something to play with now, there <laughs> now i won't get any of the work i wanted to do on it done because i'm <laughs> going to play video games all the time <laughs> it's totally worth it so what here's the thing there's no on and off switch on a on a uh, raspberry pi when you plug it in it's on it and, just runs off usb power so yes yeah um i always i buy these kits that come with a little what is it? 12 volt, five volt. I think it's five a five volt. volt. Yeah. A little five yeah. volt plug that I then plug into my raspberry Pi. But here's the thing. I've got my original inside this, basically my, my tank stick, right? Mm-hmm. Well, how do I unplug that? And pl- I, it's a pain in the butt to have to reach on around and, and plug something in every time I want to turn it on. And I don't want to leave it on all the time. Well, I've got these little Wi-Fi plugs. They're called Zuli, Z-U-L-I. I got a three-pack for review a while back. Mm-hmm. Two of them I've got on my two arcade machines. The other one I actually plugged my Raspberry Pi into. And the iPhone app allows you to like assign colors, logos, and names to each plug that you have plugged in that it sees on the network. So one of them, for instance, it says Neo Geo. The other one says Arcade Machine. And the last one says Retro Pie. So literally to turn it on, I turn on my TV. I fire up this app on my phone and I just turn it on. And it powers up my Retro Pie. And uh, there you go. It's, it's a really nice little solution. Mm-hmm. It's very high tech when you show someone the first time. They're like, wow, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> but this image that I downloaded... Let's talk about it, but I'm going to boot up my Raspberry Pi, and I'm turning up the TV because he put this little movie, uh, this little attract movie at the beginning of it. Now, you can't see it, obviously. This is a podcast, audio podcast, but you can hear some of the games and stuff, and it's it's kind of this mashup that they did, and it it's really cool. So, it shows the pet computer. Well... It says, wake up, Pixel, and then it starts booting up, and it starts with Pong. 
it goes into Pac-Man. It's like a close-up of the Pac-Man board. He's chasing a ghost, and that fades away into Pitfall. And then Donkey Kong running, and Mario running. And as he's running, Sonic goes flying by him. And you'll hear that. There's Sonic sounds. And so he's kind of going through traffic now. And then it comes up and it says Retro Pie. It does that every... And you can hear that, too. Yeah. Now, he's got music playing in the background in the menu screen. I haven't changed that yet, and I'm totally going to. (laughs) But this is just... He's got Cody on there, which is kind of a a multimedia thing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to turn that off because it's, number one, it's set up for Spanish. (laughs) Yeah. And and I'm not going to use it for that anyways. So he's got the Amiga on here, and the Amiga only has two games available. He's got the Amstrad CPC, which I've never heard of. That's a that's a British system. Well, he's got uh, 486 games in here for that. Yeah, that was. You know what the Amstrad? Amstrad is um was a company that was uh, owned by Alan Sugar, who's who basically does the UK version of The Apprentice. Okay, and and in the 80s. He Amstrad, which is Alan Michael Sugar Trading, that's where the name comes from. Um, he what he would do is he he started importing Chinese stuff in the early eighties and then rebadging it and selling it on in all the electronic shops. In the I UK. gotcha. Yeah, it and looks of like course, he's got a lot of games that, in here too. A lot of like, stuff. Yeah, it was, it was like the equivalent of Radio Shack. Gotcha. But the thing is, the thing is, is that this was before globalization. Back in the eighties, unless somebody did that, imported it and rebadged it and made it UK specific, you couldn't get this stuff. So he built. He built a big fortune out of that, and then he got into computers, and he started selling. He sold a dedicated word processor that was – it was so cheap considered con- – compared to what you pre- what you paid for an office word processing system back in the day. And it came with a screen, a monitor, disks, everything. And it was – you know, it was – a quarter of the price of what you pay for a full computer. He really revolutionized a lot of computing in the UK. And the CPC was one of their home computer systems. And again, it was different in that the computer you bought, the price you paid, got you a color monitor, the the computer itself all integrated, even with an integrated cassette deck right there next to the keyboard. So it was a very, very popular system. So you can uh, relive some of the CPC days with 486 games. Uh, yep. going to the from left to right. Now it's arcade. Now he didn't parse a lot of this arcade stuff. So there's two thousand six hundred and thirty eight arcade games. Way too many mahjong games and poker games. So I'm gonna yeah. FTP into this thing and get rid of just a ton of the games in there that I will never play and it's just taking up space. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one is Atari twenty six hundred. He's got six hundred and forty eight Atari twenty six hundred games. Atari 5200, he's got 71 games, which is about 80% of the catalog. Yep. Atari 7800, he's only got 63 games, but again... That's, that's probably most of the catalog. That's most right of the there. catalog, yeah. yeah. Uh, Linux, or Lynx, he's got 77 games. Commodore's... Lynx, was the, that was the Atari handheld. Handheld, yes. The color handhelds, yep. yeah. Uh, Commodore 64, you ready for this? 2,231 games. Uh, Commodore 64 was a big... That was a huge, that was the number one platform in computers for a very long time. Yeah. ColecoVision, 141 games, which is pretty Ah, close to. I I so wanted a ColecoVision. Everybody did. (laughs) 
<laughs> Dreamcast. He's got three games available, and Dreamcast is a PS2 or N64. It's over N64 quality games. Yeah. So I don't know how well these are going to work. He's got Power Stone, Soul Calibur. Oh, only two games, and the other See, one's yeah, System. Soul Calibur is a is a classic. Um, if it works well, that's a classic. Well, you know what? I'm going to launch it right now as we're sitting here. Let's see how well it does. You know, here's the other problem. Some of these game systems aren't configured real well for my controller, and there's no way for me to quit it. Yeah. Uh, in fact, this is another one. So the only way I can quit out of this game, usually with all the emulation, you hit start and select, and it just quits. Yeah. And, okay, this one's not even set up at all. It's, it's not working. Well... Yeah, it wants me to set the time, and I'm just I'm going to stick with 1998. It's not working. Yeah. So literally, I have to at this point. There's no way for me to quit the system. So I have to go into my Zuli plug, turn off the entire system, and then turn it back on. That is one of the drawbacks when you have a system set up like this. So yeah, that didn't work. Dreamcast didn't work at all for me. Um, it was seeing my controller as far as my up and down, left and right. But it wouldn't let me select anything. I, I was pushing buttons and nothing was changing. So that's an issue. So either I'm going to have to spend the time to get in there and set it up correctly, or I'm just going to delete. Here's the thing. All these folders for all these different systems are on every RetroPie image. But if there's yeah. nothing in it, it doesn't even show you that game system. Yeah. So if I go in and, and I FTP in to my RetroPie and I delete everything that's in the Dreamcast folder, nothing will show up in Dreamcast. It, it won't even yeah. show Dreamcast. But the thing is, a lot of the work's already done for you. I mean, if you want to spend the time figuring out how to configure that particular emulator to support your control and everything, Absolutely. it's easy to do. Game & Watch is next. By the way, in the time that I was just talking, I've completely rebooted the system and it played that movie again. There's, it's pretty game fast. Watch. You know what? I tried to explain to my uh, to my son a few weeks ago what the game and watch was, and he couldn't really get it. When I tried to explain, I said, "Well, you had a screen, but basically, they the uh, some artists had drawn all the characters, and then bits of it would light up a bit like a, an animation." He 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 was just it was so alien compared to what what he sees nowadays. Well, because a, a screen can show whatever it you want you want it to show, right? Yeah. Well, this isn't just when people hear a game and watch, they think it's an act, the actual watch from Nintendo, which uh, it could be, but that's not what this is. These are the the little video game handheld LED games. This is, you know what these the game and watch was. If it wasn't for the success of game and watch, then we wouldn't have Nintendo handheld. We probably wouldn't have the Nintendo company today. And as I'm they scrolling down this list, David, it actually shows. Yeah. And that's the thing when you, it has a big long list of all these games, folks. Yeah. But it shows either a game screen, a game box, or something to represent what the game is. So you know what it is with the game and watch stuff. It's showing you the physical hardware of what it looked like. Yeah. This is pretty cool. There's a lot of stuff in here that I wonder if football's in here because, oh, they've got that, the, the crappy uh, Tommy Tronics Pac-Man. I always <laughs> I wanted one of those so bad growing up. Uh, uh, it doesn't look like they got the Mattel stuff in here. No, they don't. So Game & Watch is on here. Next is Game Gear. Uh, yep. 249 games. That was the Sega, the Sega handheld version of the uh, original 8-bit console, the Master System. Game Boy, 490 games. Game Boy Advanced, 1,129 games. That's a lot. 
Uh, Game Boy Color, 528 games. And television, uh, 212. Sega Master System, which is also the Genesis. Yeah. 267 games. Or no, I'm sorry. Master System is not the Genesis. The Mega Drive there, is, that's, the, that's the Genesis. The, the Mega Drive is, is the British name for the Genesis. Well, it's everywhere else but the United States. It was called the Sega Mega Drive. Here in yeah. the United States, it was called the Genesis. Why? I don't know. Uh, 819 games. MSX, which was another computer, 649 games. Nintendo 64, 303 games. Neo Geo, which you would think maybe it would choke on Neo Geo. I had Neo Geo running on my other one, and it was fine. 130 games. Uh, The NES, Nintendo Entertainment System, the original, 791 games. Neo Geo Pocket, 49 games, which is probably all of them. Yep. MS DOS games, 197 games. PC, oh, do you hear that? Yep. What is that? Is that on your side? Yeah, it's somebody's running through the shredder around the corner in the office. Wow, that's a weird sound. Oh, it's a big shredder. I'm, I'm in a government department here. Oh, yeah, <laughs> okay. PC Engine, which was kind of a popular system for like five minutes. Um, but they had some really good ports of arcade games and stuff like that, and usually with cleaned up graphics and sound. And and this is I was actually playing this earlier, uh, nineteen forty two game. Ah, uh, I love that game. Oh, me too. Three hundred eighty four games. PlayStation, the original PlayStation, one game, and it's Castlevania. And Sega thirty two X, thirty three games. Uh, Scrum VM ninety four games. Sega CD. How many Sega CD games are there on here? There can't not, be that many. There weren't that many. Uh, it's not showing any. Well, yeah, yeah there's one. It's it's called Adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, SG-1000. Oh, I haven't seen that in forever. Uh, 68 was that, games. Is that the Philips system, the SG-1000? Uh, I think so. Let me see. If it, yeah, yes, I believe it is. Uh, Super Nintendo, which is... I love the Super Nintendo system. 786 games. Vectrex. <laughs> uh, 21 I, games. That's I, the entire I system. Love, I really wanted a Vectrex. Oh, every, oh Vectrex who didn't? Awesome. It, it looked cool. Yeah. Virtual Boy. 31 That's games. Cool. Which? How do you play Virtual Boy games on... Maybe it's got a 3D emulation. You have to put those kind of blue and uh, red and blue glasses on. Yeah, Wonder Swan. I don't. I don't know. It's a portable, uh, but that's from Wonder Swan was a Bandai um, Japanese handheld. I think it's got 112 games on here, yeah. and then Wonder Swan Color, yeah. 95 games. It was like a yeah, the Wonder Swan was like a competitor to the gate to the original Game Boy and the Game Boy Color. Infocom, 79 games. Here's one for you, David. The Sinclair. Yeah, Sinclair Spectrum. Yeah, it's got 382 games in here, and then yeah. that's pretty much the end of it, and it starts to repeating going back to the Amiga. Well, I'm really impressed because whoever's released this uh, this thing, all that work going and getting all those official licenses must have been really, really hard. Right, yeah. I mean, talking to all those companies to get their permission to put all this in there. Yeah. So if anybody wants, <laughs> if anybody wants this, you know, this isn't my thing. I, I don't own it. Well, technically, neither the guy who put it together, but I do have the torrent file. If you want it, send me an email. Ask for the torrent file, and I'll email it to you. The torrent file is like one k in size. I mean, it's nothing, 
Um, and you could download this image yourself and play along. So, David, now, your, your I, task yeah, is to set this up it next week. Like the guy is regularly updating it as well. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So this is this is pretty cool. Very cool. So your task for between now and the next show, David, is to download. Well, you already downloaded it, but yeah. set it up and play it. And honestly, if you use a wired Xbox 360 controller, I don't know if you have one or not. Uh, I do, actually, yes. They're very well supported, very well supported by the RetroPie community. So if you plug it in, it will actually come up the first time you boot it up, and it says, it'll say, uh, it detects a controller, and when you go into the setup, it says, push any button to set up. You push a button, and it says, Xbox 360 controller detected. And then it literally says, push up, so you push up, push down, push down, push A button, push X button, so it sets it up for you as you go along takes two seconds well it takes a minute yeah and then you are up and running it is so simple to do yeah but if you want to get nasty with it and really configure it the way you want it to you can but for the average person download this torrent file install it on a 64 gigabyte sd card plug it into a retro pie plug in a monitor plug in this joystick and you're good to go it really is that simple. Brilliant. Now, the, I, I think one of the things that um, the company behind uh, the Raspberry Pi did not anticipate when they developed the system was that they they were focused very much on education. They never realized that enthusiasts, computing enthusiasts, would get into it in, in the way they have. Um, and, you know, this is, it's as you say, the, the community around it and the fact that people are prepared to do a lot of work but then you know, release it into the wild to let people benefit from it is really, really nice. Well, it's, and I'm not talking about the video game people here. I'm talking about in general, the hobbyists. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Are I mean, pretty much, what, yeah. Th that is the market for the retro pie now. And, and anything you can think of, if somebody else has thought of it, they've probably done it and then posted it up on the internet. Somewhere. Well, there's Post one thing I really want to do and that's make a smart mirror using a retro pie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a great, um, that's a great thing. So that will be putting putting one with a screen behind a, a mirrored piece of glass, so that the the mirror effectively in the morning can show you, you know, news feeds and YouTube videos and uh, your email and that sort of thing. Yep. But when it's off, it's just off. So off, if you hook that up right, yeah. to the, the little um, Wi-Fi things that I have, the little plugs. Yeah. You just turn it on with your smartphone in the morning. Walk in and actually well, you could you could do that with your Mac. You could script it so it automatically yeah. turns on at like four thirty in the morning. Even, yeah, or you could even even use um you know one of those web services like if this then that or yeah. Alexa or something like that. And basically, your alarm goes off in the morning, and two minutes later, your mirror is showing you the the local news. And here's the thing: if you get the right kind of monitor, you just wave your hand in front of it, and that's when you know the text will pop up on the screen. Yeah. So it's just a mirror until. You do something, and then, oh, look, you know, it gives you the headlines up in the left-hand corner, gives you the temperature in the upper right-hand corner, um, you know, something scrolling at the bottom, stock market or something. But this is this is the beauty of these sorts of um, solutions, is the fact that if you can imagine it, there it is now completely and utterly feasible with a, a relatively low spend and a little bit of time and knowledge to, to construct anything you want. Yep. The sort of thing that previously, if you saw it in a, in a science fiction movie or a TV show, you'd go, oh, well, that's cool, but that's not realistic. Now you can build it yourself if you want to. 
It's pretty cool. Very it really cool. is. So let's take a quick break. We're going to come back. We got some uh, feedback. Uh, obviously, we want to thank our sponsor when we get back. And we're going to talk about this experiment that David and I have been doing this entire show and let you in on it and why we can thank another podcaster out there, uh, Simon from the Essential, Mac, or Essential Apple Podcast. For the suggestion, we'll be right back. This is Mark Chappell of the Essential Mac and the Rampant Mumblings podcast. And this is Carl Madden of the Mac and Forth Show podcast. You know what, Carl? No, nope, never met him. But it's funny how many people ask. No, no, no. I mean, you know what we should do? Bit better writers? Well, that goes without saying. No, I think we should merge. Excuse me? Rampant Mumblings, Essential Mac, Mac and Forth should merge. Sounds messy. No, no, no. It'll be good. We can still have all the incisive news, views, and opinions of Rampant Mumblings and Essential Mac along with... Well, whatever Mac and Forth has to offer. Hmm. And what should we call this new monster? Uh, I mean, venture. Well, it's still essentially an apple-related show, so why not How Do You Like Those Apples? Catchy, but does it essentially sum up what an apple show should be about? All right, how about Get Your Apples Here, An Apple A Day, Chatty Apple, Happy Pie... Oh, oh, just apple. No, we essentially need something that is more apple-related. Monkey tennis! Huh? No, no, no. We just need something essentially apple that lets people know we will essentially be discussing apple-related things. You knuckleheads, just call your new podcast the Essential Apple Podcast for when people have essentially run out of good podcasts to listen to. Should have gone with monkey tennis. Back here on the Tech Fan Podcast, 288, Tim Robertson, David Cohen. You know, one of the things that David and I really love is fire alarms going off in the background when David's... Uh, <laughs> and that's going to happen here in a few minutes. We, so. we, we've just had a, a very officious English lady tell us over the tannoy that the building might self-destruct in the next 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll push on. Uh, that's too funny. So... Uh, but in seriousness, what we really like is feedback from you, the listener. And we got quite a bit this week, David. And that's, that's always nice. I yeah. love that so much. And we really do encourage people to send us feedback. It's simple to do. Just send an email to the show at techfanpodcast.com. David and I will get it. And we'll read it right here on TechFan. Before we get to our feedback, David, let's thank our sponsor, MacSales.com. Right now, David, they got a really good sale on an Apple Bluetooth wireless keyboard. This is the Apple keyboard. This isn't a yep. third party. This is an Apple keyboard. And it's only thirty two seventy five. That's more than half off. Yep. Fifty two percent off. Deal. And those keyboards are they, these are the everyone knows what these ones look like. They're the little silver ones with the white keys on. The little kind of bar at the back where the batteries go. Yep. And um they, you know, they're not. You don't have to get one if just if you've got a Mac. They're fabulous for an iPad, um, even for an iPhone. If you want to work on your iPhone, say you got a Plus iPhone six or seven Plus, they're great for that as well. Or you know what, even in any other computing device, they're just a regular Bluetooth keyboard. You can work them with everything. You're not Apple specific, and they really they look the bomb. You know what goes well with one? How about a matching mouse? Hey, there you go. They have yeah. a magic mouse which doesn't have a physical button. You just tap the top of the, the, yeah. the mouse. Uh, only 4176 right now. Yeah, again, these are these are great deals because these things are, you know, it's, every, everyone knows this. If you, if you go into a, a store that sells big, expensive things, then the accessories are often where they make a margin. And um, 
So if you want this stuff and you you don't want to pay full price for it, then the yeah the Magic Mouse forty one dollars instead of sixty nine, which is what Apple will take you for. So it's a good deal. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a good deal. It's you know sometimes it's good just to have a spare. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and again, you know this the Magic Mouse, a Bluetooth mouse. It's nice and slimline, and um, it'll work with any computer. It doesn't have to be a, an Apple computer. That is very true. Of course, if you use a KVM switch like I do, David, it might. It might be an issue. <laughs> yeah, you've been having some KVM problems. I am. And that number one, A, thank you uh, very much, Max Sales, for sponsoring this episode of TechFan. And for those wondering, um, yep, there was some wires crossed between us and Larry. He definitely is going to be coming on the show. We haven't set up the exact time yet, but we are going to. Um, and maybe we'll have a solution so the three of us can talk, David. We'll get to that in a yeah. second. But first, John Nemo, reviews editor at MyMac.com, sent us an email in which he said, in your recent terrible show concerning the HDMI situation, how about using HDMI and all, or at all and using, oh, instead of using HDMI, uh, use VGA for generic video signal? Uh, I think I have tried something like that with, the v, with a KVM and adapter. So... Like I said on the show, uh, this this PC that I have has both VGA and HDMI out. Mm-hmm. Now, the DisplayPort KVM switch that I'm using, I'm pretty sure I can convert VGA to DisplayPort, and it will work. There's a problem with that, David. VGA is an old protocol. And it doesn't support the resolution that I'm using on my 27-inch monitor. Yeah. So while it would work, I would get those alarms. So we'll take a we'll pause this while that happens. Run, David, run! Oh my God, I'm, get I'm out! Going. Get out! I'm going to switch to uh, I'll switch to talk to you on my iPhone and evacuate. <gasps> okay, it's actually oh, that's that's actually not too bad. I, I don't I don't know if he, David's actually dead. I think he's still there. Are you still there, David? Are you dead? I, I'm I'm crisping at the edges. Is it Godzilla? Oh wait, you're not in Japan. Well, that's very polite sounding. Here in the United States, it's like I'm, I'm terribly sorry that you have to evacuate the building, but there is a fire. Yeah, please. We would prefer that you don't die. Is that it? It'd be dreadfully inconvenient to die in a fire. Huh. I like how it says please all the time. Yeah. It's very polite. Very British. Well, that's what your uh that's your what what your UK income tax pounds pay for is a <laughs> is a polite alarm in government buildings. So that is why, David, uh or uh Johnny Mo, yep. I cannot use I can. Uh, it will look terrible. And those alarms will go off every time I try to use this. <laughs> Really nice looking monitor via VGA. But yeah, basically that's the alarm that goes off in the um, in the MPAA when they figure out somebody's find a way to send video where it's not digital. That's it's right. Not <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's why I, I didn't even I ruled that out immediately. Yeah. Uh, I might give it a shot eventually. Um, really, it kind of depends on how much a VGA two. Uh, display port adapter is it's probably pretty cheap because or expensive because well, nobody yeah, wants to do that, that. That's the problem is 
I find with uh, you know with both video and audio, if it's something that is is quite niche and specialised, sometimes only a few people do it, and you, there's no economies of scale, and they're quite expensive. Uh, oh, thank goodness! I was so worried for a while there. So actually, David, it's eight ninety. I well, look, there's another one. Um, Six dollars ninety nine cent shipped via Prime. Another one for eight ninety nine. So they're like ten bucks. You can either get an adapter or you can get a cable itself. Which yep. yeah, six one way half does the other really. Of course, you're taking the um, you're taking the Chinese um, Russian roulette uh, route when you're going through that because you when you're paying that sort of money, you get something that might not work. Not because it's hard, but just because they haven't built it well. Yeah. Well, maybe if somebody wants to send me one, that's good. Yeah. I'm happy to test it. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to spend my own money. I might have one, actually. I'd have to look around. I've got a lot of adapters and stuff. I don't think I've got this one, though. This is the problem, though, when you're a kind of a tech geek, is is that you're never really sure whether you have something or not. You kind of have a feeling that you might have, but then you'd think, well, maybe I'll just look for one, but never actually got around to buying it. And then what you end up doing is buying it anyway, because you think, well, even if I have it, I don't know where it is, so it's, I might as well just buy another one. And of course, as soon as it arrives, you then find the one that you didn't realize you had to begin with. Yeah. Well, that's happened more than a few times with me. That's frustrating. You're like, ugh. Yeah. But then they're never really expensive to begin with. So it's not like, well, I wasted four bucks or eight bucks, but that's, you know, who cares? Uh, Next feedback is kind of an important one because it goes back to what we said right at the beginning of the show that we're using... We're doing an experiment. Yeah. And here's a clue for you guys. We're not using Skype right now. Nope. And I'll be honest with you, David, from what I can hear on my end, it sounds just as good as what I'm used to with Skype with you. Yeah, it's it's not working quite so well for me, but then I'm in a slightly funky environment because I'm in a behind a corporate firewall, which may be affecting things somewhat. So I'm I'm hearing some artifacts, but it's not unusable by any stretch of the imagination. But more importantly, you coming to me, your audio quality is fine. It's good. Yeah, which is what we want. Which is what I want, because I'm recording yeah. it on my end. Yeah. Now, if something happened on my end and we had to use David's version of the recording, it might not sound as good. Yeah, exactly. And when you get the higher end Wi-Fi that you're getting installed in the house next week... Maybe it'll be better there. Who knows? I hope so. That would be nice. So go ahead. You can read this one. Yeah. So um, we we said, obviously, we we said that we thought the show, when we were finished winding the show up last week, said it was probably terrible, and we apologize for that. And I actually named the show The Terrible Show. Terrible Show, exactly, yeah. But this was Simon from the Essential Apple Podcast. He said, actually, Tim, it wasn't terrible. And although perhaps not quite compelling it was an interesting listen while you fiddled with a couple of services trying to see what might be good for you for what you wanted and what options they had i found that quite interesting myself but that's just me well thank you simon he says for what it's worth the skype pages say make a group call select the new icon or menu button on android to add participants then select the call or video button select the group avatar to create a name for your group or add a group feature to add a group picture i'm assuming that is still up to date the problem we were having actually is that those those are the instructions on the on ios or android but for some reason that wasn't working for us on the mac no because i would do exactly that and i would add both you and larry even though i knew larry wasn't online yeah just to start the group chat so i can then invite other people in 
I would call you even though you were online and Skype said you weren't and it would it would just hang up immediately it it never worked for me yeah so he says although I use Skype a lot I do less video calling the messaging and almost no group calls have done it and it's always seemed a bit fiddly to me Skype's benefit, of course, is it has been its near ubiquity. It came in and trampled Yahoo Messenger and MSN, AIM, iChat, and all the rest of the time underfoot. It became the de facto cross-platform AV Messenger for, what, 10 years or more. Microsoft do now have a premium Skype offering called Skype for Business, which is based on their older Link Communicator platform, I believe. Don't quote me on that bit, though. He's, he's actually right there, though they have... As I was saying last week, they have recently moved it off the old link platform into a separate instance of, of whatever they run Skype on nowadays in, in their Azure uh, hosted cloud. He says, there are a lot of alternatives to Skype, but no one app service seems to do all that Skype offers. And of course, none have the recognition and penetration Skype does at the moment. For what it's worth, here's a few you could investigate. Wire, multi-platform and secure, says it does group calls. Uh, and that's what we're using. That is a, absolutely yeah. what we're using yeah. right now. We're using Wire, and it is web-based in that for David and I to talk, it's actually open on a web page. You do have to download something to your computer, yeah, uh, an app, but the app doesn't do anything except really feed their web page yeah. interface. This is, this is using the WebRTC protocol, which is the way kind of everyone expects this sort of stuff to be done in the future. Yep. Uh, and Skype now has WebRTC support, so um, that's how I was able to use it on that Chromebook last week, in that um, that's how Skype interfaces using WebRTC for devices that aren't running a local app. But i got to um, say, David, so far with Wire, and we'll, we will ins- try some of these other ones in, in the future yeah. as well, but right now, the first one we both tried, Wire, it's working. I went, signed up an account, sent David an invite, David got the invite. He downloaded the app. We he launched it, added me. I accepted, and there he is. I just he hit call, and now you could do. We're just doing audio call, but you can also do video call. Yep, and, and it just as, works. As as um, as Simon says, it does group as well. It's it's very nice. It certainly, I mean, in terms of multi-platform, it's now more multi-platform than Skype is. I mm-hmm. mean, it works on pretty much any device. Um, so that's pretty cool. We did have some slight funkiness at the beginning with the with the client in that um, we had to change system settings on a Mac to get it to pick up our um, preferred inputs preferred inputs and outputs, um, even though there was a setting in the app. But, um, yeah, nothing's perfect. <laughs> but it worked within a minute. Yeah, exactly. We both had it, it working pretty, in a minute. Yeah, it was very, very quick to, and easy to set up. And considering I, I sat down at, at two minutes two minutes before we were due to start and I hadn't even created an account, the fact that, we were online virtually straight away. It was very impressive. Well, and that, and that I had my account set up and I kind of looked at the settings, but I couldn't test anything because I didn't have anybody to chat with to test until you came online. Yeah. So we both had to change a couple settings, restart our web browsers, and we were up and running. And it's been running nonstop. It's not degrading. I, Skype, there's been a few versions of Skype that as the call progressed, the audio quality or the video quality would start degrading. Yeah, I'm not seeing that at all so far with this, but it is just audio between point to point. You and you and I. Yeah, I yeah. would really like to try this with someone. So he also mentions uh, LMO does group video, says it's cross-platform, and Uvu again group calls and cross-platform. 
So he says, can't vouch for any of these, Tim, or say how easy it is to record from them for podcasting, just throwing them in the ring, as it were. There may be more, but many audio or video calling services don't go do conference calls or are mobile only. Um, Simon. Essential Apple Podcast. Yeah. So thank you, Simon. I really appreciate that. And uh, see, folks, that's what your feedback can do. It could change our show because we, on Simon's, well, it wasn't even a recommendation. He was just giving us some ideas. Yep. Uh, we went with one of them. And here we are. Last one is from uh, John Belton. He says, I've been listening to the Tech Fan Podcast for just over a year now, and I thought I would give you some feedback. I'd love to comment on many of the subjects you've discussed, but I'll keep it brief and just say I really enjoy the show. I like how you discuss other things besides tech, like music, movies, and whatever's on your mind that week. I also like the fact that you're not afraid to call bullshit, something a lot of other podcasts just don't do. Keep up the good work, and I look forward to each new show. Thank you, John Belton. i, I got to be honest with you, David. That was kind of inspiring to me. It was, yeah. <laughs> I, good that, you know, that we are connecting with people who like what we do here. Yeah. You know. And, and we uh, are, I will say, I listen to quite a few other podcasts. Not a lot of, I hear a lot of excuses when they're talking about their favorite tech companies or products. Even when things aren't going well, they tend to make excuses for those companies. Yeah. And we don't really do that, do we? I, I don't. I think we try and give everybody a fair crack of the whip. Sure. And so, you know, and, and we always mention and discuss and debate the reasons and the call them excuses, call them justifications, whatever, that people put out when they have issues or problems or something that we've kind of feel isn't quite right or alternative is something that we, we agree with. We also uh, try and raise any dissent that, that, that we've read about or, or heard about um, so, that, so that everyone understands the entire topic. But, uh, yeah, I don't think... The problem is it, it can be very tempting if you're, a, if you're a fan of a particular company or approach or something like that to kind of, yeah, to, to cut it some slack and say, well, of course, well, you know. Everybody wants to look at their favorite thing through yeah. rose-colored glasses, and they don't really want to admit when there's big problems. But yeah. as someone who's been publishing pro, uh, an online publication since 1995, focused mostly on uh, Apple products... Initially, obviously, just the Mac, uh, hence the name My Mac, but who's seen the company completely change over time, completely change, um, and still become a fan of the products, but mostly the community around those products is really what I've always liked the most. Um, I, I don't have a problem calling, like he said, bullshit when it's bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's kind of well. Look, you know, we we we're very similar people, and and that's the way we roll, which is to say it like we see it. And you know what? You don't have to agree with us. We don't want to do a show where everyone who listens just you know just thinks everything we say is uh, is 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 right on the money. We I like it when people dissent. I like it when people so disagree. I. I like it when Brendan sends big long emails in uh, basically saying no I don't agree with that you said and you have got that wrong and all of that and, uh, and sometimes you know he agrees with something we say and yet then he 
goes on and says, well, you didn't go far enough. And I, I love all of that because so I. that means we're, we're connecting with people. We're yep. having a conversation. We're making and, people think about what we're saying. We're not, it's not just, you know, I don't want to be like a, a Fox News echo chamber where, you know, everybody who watches and listens is, yeah, agrees completely with everything that Pete, the commentator says. It's, it's, what's, what's the use of that? The flip side of that, well, not the flip side, to go along with that, I should say. Yeah is that when I first started podcasting way back in 1994, really, 1994, I didn't want to... Look, I've been a high-tech user for a very long time on a very high level. I've been... Are you still there, David? Yeah. Okay. I, I've been an IT manager. Uh, I've been publishing in the tech world. I'm a published author. Uh, I, I've done a lot in the tech world. And I can get at the drop of a hat, very geeky and very low-level tech on people, if I want to. I made a conscious decision a long time ago, starting in 1994, not to do that on any podcast that I'm on. And did 1994? I'm sorry, 2004. <laughs> 1994, yeah. yeah. The year before I started my Mac, uh, yeah, I was yeah. on podcasts. Uh, 2004. Um I always wanted to do a show, if it's my show, that takes the approach of the common person, the common tech user, not the high-level developer. I, there's a lot of other shows that I listen to. I drop in occasionally. Sometimes I listen to more than occasionally. I listen to every episode where they're very high-tech people, yep. and they don't relate at all to the average user at all. Um, what's that one? The, uh, let me pull it up here. Uh, Accidental tech. Uh, is that it? Accidental tech podcast with Mark. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like John the show, Kater. but they, they talk about stuff. Oh, I'm getting a little echo of myself back now. Mm -hmm. Um, they talk about stuff on a level that 95% of their listeners don't. Yeah. Because, sure, because they've I'm got sure so much all, money. I'm sure their audience a lot of their audience get some of what they're saying and probably some of their audience get everything they're saying. I do, but, they, but that's... Yeah, but they are they are developer-focused. I mean, this this week, the, the show I'm listening to at the moment from them, they had um, the guy who's just left Apple who created Swift, the new programming language, right. going to Tesla, yeah? And so that is, you know, it's all about the ins and out, the intricacies of different approaches for compilers and... Um, C++ uh, styles and, and all this stuff, and, and a lot of it's going way over my head. And you know what? That's absolutely fine. Yep, but that's yeah. not our show. But no. We could do shows like that if we wanted to, but our interests, as well as Guy and Gaz when they were doing and Chad Perry and Chris Siebold and John Nemo, all the people that were involved in the MyMac show before, none of us are interested in that stuff. We're interested in a variety of tech. And so when I came up with the idea, when I left OWC radio for the first time and then started tech fan, I purposely didn't name it, you know, my Mac two. <laughs> yeah. And I also didn't go back to guy and Gaz and go, okay, I quit OWC radio. I'm, I'm coming back to the my Mac podcast. Mm -hmm. and I could have very well done, but yeah, it was their show at that point. I wanted a show that's more broad than we were doing then. 
I wanted a show that didn't have necessarily a focus on one type of technology. And that's what David and I have been doing here on TechFan for six years now. Yeah. Seven years. This is a, We're coming up into our seventh year. Isn't yeah, that right? Still, seventh? Still, it's still the new show as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Um, you know, it, we, we didn't want to do, we didn't want to drill down into one thing so often that the, the listenership wouldn't have any kind of variety. Yeah. You know, and and it's boring things, to me. One of the things I like when I tell people what I do with this is that um, I'm able to say to them, and a lot of them do, and I get good feedback from them. They, I may say, this is where you can find the show. Go and listen to it. Yep. And I can say that to anybody. Yep. Yeah, and I at least I'm comfortable that um, they will understand what we're talking about. It they doesn't matter what level be, of tech that they're into. Exactly. They, they will find be, something on the show. They might not be interested. They might not agree. Uh, it might not be their cup of tea, but they can understand what we're talking about. This is not rocket science what we're doing here. We don't want to turn it into, you know, because the Internet is awash with people who geek out to the nth degree about uh, whatever they're into. Well, think uh, about what we started the show with this week, David. You don't get any more geeky, in my opinion, than the Raspberry Pi. Yeah. And it is a super intimidating thing for those who aren't really big tech people. It really is. So without even consciously thinking about it, we took the time to explain what the images were, uh, yeah. why this retro, what you can do with the RetroPie. We pointed out that there's a huge community that you could just download stuff and there's blog posts and there's Facebook groups, which is where I got this image for the, for the retro pie that I'm playing right now. Um, anybody can do this. Anybody. Yeah. If, if you and I can do it, yes, we're high level techs, but we're not using those high level techs for the most basic stuff. Now yeah. I could really drill down into the raspberry Pi and do a lot more as can you, and maybe we'll talk about some of that stuff, but we'll also talk about the, hey, I, I, I've been a Mac user for eight years. I was using PCs before that. The extent of my real technical knowledge is, is connecting to my Wi-Fi printer. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Raspberry Pi for that person probably sounds a little scary, but maybe they're interested in retro games. And, boy, you guys have talked about that before. It sounds cool, but... Ah, that sounds way geeky. I don't think I could set that up. Yeah, you can. You absolutely can. In fact, yeah. all you have to do is send an email to the show at techfanpodcast.com and say, hey, could you send me a link to the, or can you send me that torrent file? I'll send you that little tor torrent file. You, you just have to have a torrent client. You could download this image, put it on an SD card, slip it into uh, a Raspberry Pi, and you're literally up and running. That's all it takes. You don't even need a controller. You could use a keyboard if you want, although it's yeah. not suggested. It's not as fun. But that's the kind of stuff that David and I are going to be focusing on forever. That's just what this show is. And so for John to pick up on a lot of that and and to let us know really meant a lot to me. Yeah, much appreciated. Absolutely. David, we should probably wrap this up. We're over an hour at this point, and uh, we still want to record a new commercial for the... My Mac Spotlight Network. My Mac Podcasting Network. Wow. I combined two things there, didn't I? Yeah. Woo. All right. <laughs> see you next week. Got to get that. You got to get your RetroPie hooked up and, yeah, and you can talk and, about uh, it and see what you think. Ne next, next week, hopefully on sweet, sweet high bandwidth internet. That'd be awesome. See you later. Bye. Bye.